Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 94. Be prepared. Read as much as you can. Shout out somebody that you think is doing a good job for you. Take courses. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. And every episode features a grass farmer and their operation. I'm your host, Cal Hardich. You're growing more than grass. You're growing a healthier ecosystem to help your cattle thrive in their environment. You're growing your livelihood by increasing your carrying capacity and reducing your operating costs. You're growing stronger communities and a legacy to last generations. The grazing management decisions you make today impact everything from the soil beneath your feet to the community all around you. That's why the Noble Research Institute created their Essentials of Regenerative Grazing course to teach ranchers like you easy-to-follow techniques to quickly assess your forage production and infrastructure capacity in order to begin grazing more efficiently. Together, they can help you grow not only a healthier operation, but a legacy that lasts. Learn more on their website at noble.org slash grazing. It's N-O-B-L-E dot org forward slash grazing. Be sure and listen in the upcoming events for grazing courses coming near you. On today's episode, we have Lee Sexton of Sexton Grazing and Consulting. Lee is from Canada, and he is a strong advocate of targeted grazing to control unwanted vegetation and improve soil health. Lee emphasizes the power of continuous learning and the impact of shared knowledge. Today, Lee shares his grazing journey, exploring the experiences from shepherding to using tech for shared knowledge. Before we talk to Lee, 10 seconds about my farm. And as the pattern's been for the last few weeks, we're going to talk about the podcast, but not this podcast. Last year, in early 2023, I tried an experiment called the Grass Farmer Book Club. The approach was simple, yet effective. By committing to read 10 pages a day for five days each week, we gradually expand our understanding and expertise in grazing. Last year, I tried it. I did not like my voice being the only voice on it. So after a few weeks, I stopped that experiment. But now we're revisiting it because I like the idea of the book club structure through a podcast for shared learning. If that appeals to you and you would be interested in being a guest reader on the podcast with me, would you go over to the grassfarmerbookclub.com and click on Be Our Guest and fill out the form, give me a little bit of information, and I'll be in contact with you. Enough about the new experiment. Let's talk to Lee. Lee, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited you're here today. Thanks, Cal. I'm excited to be here. I'm really glad you reached out. Well, thank you. Lee, to get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your operation? Uh, currently, I guess, our operation is uh, 
kind of a twofold operation. We have a grass-based operation. We do yearling cattle, uh, mostly uh, rotational grazing and uh, side business that goes on with uh, targeted grazing business as well. So I guess I'm away doing targeted grazing in the summer at times. And uh, when I'm away, I have my grandkids hired to look after the rotations. Uh, they usually do a three-day move. When I'm home, I'll do anywhere from a one to a three-day, depending on what's going on. So are you buying those cows in the spring and selling them in the fall? So we have both uh, custom people that pay, and uh, I buy some as well. Uh, I guess last year we, we run about 110 yearlings. It's not a very big outfit. Well, just enough that you can keep your grandkids busy. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, I feel very comfortable uh, when I'm gone with them doing it. They've developed quite a grazier's eye. Um, they're 16 to 22, so uh, the oh, three yes. kids that are involved. So it works out well. Oh, very good. Yes. And where are you located? I'm located in Hanley, Saskatchewan, Canada. We're just south of a beautiful city called Saskatoon, so... Most people get tied up on that Saskatoon, Saskatchewan thing. I'm sure I would. I, I have trouble with the towns in Oklahoma, so we won't even try that. Now, Lee, how long have you been doing this? I've been involved in, in some form of agriculture most of my life. Uh, I guess in the early years as a youngster, I uh, spent every minute I could any extra day from school, I spent my grandfather's place. Uh, and then oh, here's, yeah. it was a 30 mile drive and it was, it was not easy to communicate in those years. Um, but, uh, every holidays that, you know, like Christmas holidays or old summer, I was usually at, at the farm. And, uh, my, my father was very interested in horses and we lived in town. But uh, we we rented a you know place for to keep horses over the years until uh, oh I don't know what it was thirty some years ago I guess I lost my dad and that kind of started my own journey uh, I had some horses there to look after and I finally got a place of my own at that point I guess Cal and oh, <laughs> excuse yeah. me it was. Uh, grass, alfalfa actually is what it was, straight alfalfa. So I hated that for a while and got tired of that because uh, all this time I was working full time, uh, managing a haying operation or an irrigated forage program, uh, supplying seeds for uh, a program for the federal government. Uh, so anyway, I, it was time consuming and doing my own hay got to be quite a tough deal. Oh, so yeah. then I... Uh, I read an article and uh, started grazing. I started grazing straight alfalfa, I'll be honest. That's, I broke my teeth wide open on that. Uh, oh, yeah. I think we had something like 50 heifers come in on the quarter section at that time. I was living closer to Outlook then, Outlook, Saskatchewan, and uh, rotated them. I had read an article about a guy in southern, southeast Saskatchewan uh, doing some grazing and uh, I broke up my quarter section into uh, eight paddocks for the cattle, and I had two other places for horses. So uh, 
I started rotating cattle on straight alfalfa and got that going. And I received a stuffed dog, I guess, for Christmas from my family one year. And that got the bug going for to start training the dog. So I bought a few sheep. Yeah, I trained this darn dog. And that led me into another journey, another rabbit hole, I guess it was, really. It started... Uh, found out that I could uh, get them sheep bread and have some other ones and started making a little money off of that as well. So we grew that business over in Outlook. Instead of, I started grazing the sheep on the alfalfa instead of the cattle. So we done that and then moved. I guess we've been over here about 22 years, so. Oh, yes. Now on grazing alfalfa, I'm in Northeast Oklahoma. Alfalfa, there's no, no alfalfa around here. If you want to buy alfalfa, you got to go out to western Oklahoma, western Kansas, and truck it in. And when we dairied, we used to do that. But I've never grazed alfalfa. However, what I've read, you, you got to take some precautions with grazing it. Did you have any trouble grazing alfalfa? Uh, I did with the sheep uh, the very first time. Uh, but I was just impatient. With the cattle, I never had any problems. Oh, yeah. Uh, I had a, a field, a small field where my dugout was that was grass. So I put them in there when they first arrived uh, overnight. And in the morning, they grazed uh, in there. And just after dinner, they, you know, kind of full and they were laying down. And uh, that's when I went down and kicked the gate open to the alfalfa and kind of moved them oh, out yeah. in there slowly. And from there on, it was just kind of fly by the seat of your pants. You had to have more guts and glory on it and uh, <laughs> just moved them, right? Moved, didn't put no pressure on things. Uh, I thought they told me the seeker was to move them before you had to kind of thing. Wonderful. Yes. You said the sheep gave you a little bit more trouble with it, though? Yeah, I got impatient. I was working and haying and I went. It was in the spring, uh, I guess we weren't haying yet, but I was trying to irrigate and just busy time. And I went out in the morning as I was going by to work and I kicked them out into the field. And uh, I guess I lost five that morning. Uh, oh. My old stupidity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought yeah. they'd be okay. They were on full feed overnight, but, but after that, I didn't have any more problems. I just held the program like I did with the cattle. I guess I had smaller paddocks um, that I was rotating through. I broke it up from eight to, I think I had a dozen then. Oh, yeah. And you did that for a few years till you moved to your current place? That's right. Um, I wanted to live on the place in there. It's a major road. They rerouted a highway and all the heavy traffic come down our road. So oh. I started looking around. I found this one at the end of a trail and she's, Pretty peaceful here, and yeah, we we managed to to buy it and get the other one sold, and we live right here. I guess we've been here twenty two years, and I still kind of consider myself a bit of a newbie around here, but that's okay. Oh yes, I I think that's funny. We so the area we live in, we're about ten miles from a small town here, and most people here in the area I live, they. They commute to that town or or more further away to work. But when we moved out here, um, my grandparents lived out here. 
and we moved out here to be close to them, and we started dairying with them. But there was like a handful of families I could count on my hand of who lived out here and who had lived out here for decades. And since then, you know, everything's getting chopped up, little pieces of land, people's putting houses everywhere. We have all these people out here now, and to me, they're not not the people that's supposed to be out here. And I know that's not very accepting of myself, but I, I enjoyed it when there wasn't much traffic on the road. And other day I was talking to someone and I'm like, well, they moved out here. And they're like, yeah, they moved out here like 30 years ago. Okay, well. So, yeah, I, I get that being still kind of new to the area, yet having lived there a few decades. Well, kind of opposite. We lost people around the area, actually. Yeah. So how far are you, you mentioned earlier, how far are you from a big city? So to the outskirts of Saskatoon, we're about 40 minutes. Oh, 40, okay. 45. So not bad. And how yeah. big is? A couple hundred thousand, I think. A couple hundred thousand. So it's yeah, a I think size. so. Yeah. Or more. Yeah. Maybe that's a while back. I don't keep track of that sort of thing. It's more people than I want to deal with. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you got moved out there. Did you take your sheep with you? You get back into cattle? Okay, yeah, we we moved over. I brought, uh, at that time, I think I had about 150, 170 ewes for working full-time. We bought in about 75 yearnings then, uh, had the horses, uh, was was here a, a, a couple of years, and then BSE blew up. Um, things uh, got pretty tight for, for a couple of years, but... Uh, I kind of hung on to them, them cattle because we couldn't get rid of them. They weren't worth anything, and you couldn't take them anywhere, right? So, uh, oh yeah, they were they were heifers. I had bought all heifers, so we threw a bull in with them and and uh, went through that route. Then it got dry on us the the year after drought had out a bit. I guess sorry, I was looking. For, I, I I stumbled into a deal there with some feed, and I I should touch on that because it was. Something that really helped us through the the sheep kind of made payments on the cattle for the BSE because the sheep were paid for at the time and they were actually bringing oh, yeah. a little better money. But with the droughts, uh, there was no feed around to speak of. And uh, I had a guy tell me that a neighbor of mine uh, had a field of wheat that uh, was crop insurance had rolled off. Uh, they figured there was about a six or seven bushel crop in there. And I went to see them, and we looked at the field. The kosher weed had come up in it because we had a late uh, rain, and it was in September where we started to silence this. Uh, the, the kosher weed had flushed up, and it was probably four or five feet high. Like, wait. Oh, yeah. I got a chopper in is what I did. I, I knew a guy with a chopper and trucks and stuff, and we, he rolled in, and it was, I don't know, probably a seven-mile hole, six, seven-mile hole over, and we just put put it on top of the ground and tarped it, right? And I had an all oh, kinds yeah. of feed, and I had all kinds of neighbor coming by because it was just kind of something unique to the area. That, as usual, I'd get coffee shop going, and I don't mind that. But anyway, I custom-fed some cattle, and I custom-fed some sheep as well. So 
we were running, I think it was about 150 head came in uh, altogether of cattle and I was feeding. And I got another bunch of sheep, a line load of sheep. I think we were close to 500 head of sheep at that time feeding for the winter. And oh, wow. uh, I didn't have much cash flow, uh, but I had an old John Deere manure spreader here. So I took the beater off it and we filled that up every day. And I just take it out and drop it off make two or three trips and just let it tumble out of the back of the, <laughs> and that's how we fed it. And then that led into, uh, uh, some other silage that I found in Outlook. There was a mint plant there and they had all this old refuse from that. So uh, they ensiled it and they said, I started buying that by the truckload in the winter time and we fed it the same way. But there was claim I could do there was say that it was already, my sh lambs were already flavored with mint, right? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Saved yeah. you a step there for the chefs. Yeah. Yeah. And in that time, I guess I was selling all natural lamb to a, a, a lady that was targeting a certain market in restaurants. Anyway, it ended up, oh. um, I got some lamb into a hotel where the queen was staying. Queen England was over and she ate my lamb. So then I could market lamb fit for a queen. It's oh, yes. Yeah. Kind of unique. Not many of us have that opportunity. Yeah. I guess we won't anymore. No. Now, when you brought those sheep in, what size are you bringing those in and what size are you selling? Are they wool breeds? I was running wool, wool breeds and the, and that winter that, uh, the guy sent me was wool breeds as well. So we sheared all them as well that year here, but, oh yeah, um, uh, sheep with wool on their legs is always what I tried to get, uh, w wintered a lot better for me type of thing oh, yeah. out in the cold. And yeah, that was, I forget the name of the book now that I read. More grass, more sheep, more money, or some darn thing like that. Oh, yeah. You know, we don't have too much wool sheep here anymore. It's all gone to hair sheep. Do Is there still a market for wool sheep in Canada, or is it gone kind of like the U.S. market? It's gone like that all across the world, I guess, Cal. That's the big yeah, thing. Yeah, I talked to someone, I think, in Australia, and they were talking about it as well. So, yeah. Right. So I guess uh, I was a director for the Canadian Cooperative Wool Growers for 14 years too. I, I guess full disclosure on that. So I kind of understood that wool market a little better. Um, oh, Canada's yes. wool isn't the greatest to begin with. Um, I asked I asked the manager years ago where we sell. I said, would we be in the top 10 of quality wool in the world? And he said, not even. But everybody oh, thinks yes. they have good wool, but really we don't have good wool when it comes right down to it. Uh, so where is go good wool? Well, I guess the States has the finer wool, right? We had finer oh, wool. Yes. This, this country was kind of the southern part of Saskatchewan was fine wool sheep down there. That's what got the ranches going in the early years, of course, just like oh, other yes. places. And, uh, it's left now, so uh, I guess the production of going into sheds, that sort of thing, has kind of dropped that wool quality off quite a bit. Uh, oh yeah, so it's it's kind of tough to deal with now, tough to market. 
Oh, yes. Yeah. Something you just got to deal with now. Now, yeah. how long did you do sheep, cattle? Because you're not oh. doing sheep now. You're you're just no. doing yearling cattle. No, I got goats, too. Oh, you got some goats, too? I thought yeah. you had goats. Yeah, we're running to uh, goats probably, I'm trying to think now if it's about 13, 14 years ago, maybe. Yeah, about the time I switched my job and from being the uh, irrigation, irrigated forage foreman for the government, uh, started a bit of a small project with uh, invasive weeds at one of the pastures that we, the government owned at that time. It had, uh, I think it was something like 12,000, 10 to 12,000 acres infested spurge on 25,000 acre, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. We call it a pasture, but oh, so yeah. they, I got talking with, with, with a fellow that he, he's actually kind of a friend and, and I had to work for him and he's, he's a really good friend and still is a friend and, uh, has been a mentor of mine over the years and. Uh, is on our our other group, the the long lifelong learners oh, yes. group. But uh, he asked me if I'd be interested in doing something with grazing in there. They had sheep coming in there. Uh, they just weren't getting enough numbers, right? Like they'd have anywhere from oh, as yeah. low as six hundred up to twelve hundred sheep in there. But uh, we needed more impact, so he asked me to kind of take that over. So the first year I. I did, and we had 1,100 of our own, and then he had, oh, pardon me, 800 of our own on our side, and then the other people had uh, 1,100 that had been doing it. So, you know, we had a good shot in here. And then the next year, we, as the, the government took it over entirely, uh, that year, we, I think we were around 3,200 sheep and goats run in there. Oh, wow. Uh, and then... Uh, that that's when I kind of started buying my own goats. Government bought goats. If believe it or not, the federal government had goats there, and uh, we were kidding goats out on that leafy spurge. Um, I thought it was something we could do, and and uh, and we did do it. Yeah, and it worked out pretty that's good, good actually. On, on the the goats there, did you just have them in? Did you just had them on that pasture, or did you do any rotation or any management of those? Yeah, they were moving now. Um, they were shepherding them previously, but the idea was that we were going to fence these large fields they had uh, because the idea was we could teach people to fence and manage things and just go out and check them rather than having to shepherd them all the time. Um, oh, as yeah. it turned out, uh, the fencing plan was there, a bunch of material bought. Um, the guy that started fencing, Ended up not fencing. He quit the job, and uh, we went back to kind of herding and and kind of fencing for the summer. And then the next year, they, I think they kind of the that that year after I was done, I retired. So they had about four thousand head that next year, and they were shepherding them. So it's kind of a tough deal. But if they could have got all those big fields fenced, it would have been a lot better. It really would. Oh, yeah. 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 And so that was about the time you started with goats 
I did, yeah. Well, they asked me to find goats. I had been kind of interested in them anyway, so uh, I retired and I started up my own target grazing business and, and had sheep and goats here mm. with the cattle. Had, had some diversity going, I guess, and the sheep do well on, on what we were doing, but I was targeting spurge mostly on the lot. A lot of my work was targeting spurge. I was very interested in leafy spurge. And the sheep kind of just didn't fit as well running both breeds in numbers. So, oh, yeah, work. Oh, well, what the heck? The most I, I had, I suppose, would have been around 250 goats at one time. And I was getting other people's goats and run into another project in the further southwest. And it was a 4,000 acre project, I guess. I was on there, on there for three, four years type thing, got it under control, talked that rancher into investing in goats there so that, you know, hopefully they would be able to look after it themselves, right? Oh, was yeah, the idea. Check. Yeah. Not all ranchers can hire somebody to come in and target graze on their land. It's costly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So doing that targeting grazing, they would hire you, you would come in and um, graze your goats for a while till it got the leafy spurge under control, and then it's back to them. Wow, that 4,000 acres, I didn't get across at all, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> we, I was down there 100 days, 120 days, 130 days type of thing. Um, the first year I got home once, Overnight, I had a bull get into a dugout, and I had to come and rescue it and get it out and oh. get back. But it's uh, it's kind of a five-hour drive to get back and forth, so uh, things ran pretty good at home. I I got uh, a really a really good wife that was really supportive of what I wanted to do and backed me up, and uh, the grandkids stepped in at an early age and helped and. I've been very fortunate to be able to do something that I'm passionate about with the with the oh, yeah. grazing thing. I graze horseback and use border collies and guard dogs. And you mentioned that earlier. You are you still training dogs? Uh, just my own. I I was custom training for a while, and I was trialing for a while. But uh, it's it's easy to train dogs. Not good. Not so easy to train them people. And <laughs> yes. The trialing thing I, I found to be too political, so I stepped away from it, too. It's oh, kind yeah. of like team rope, and I used to team rope. That's another disease, right? Those are just diseases. Yes. Enjoyable ones, though. Right, yeah. I I consider at times getting a border collie. And then, well, then I wise up and realize I don't have the time to dedicate to a border collie. And so I haven't done it. And then, then I, I worry about stress to animals. But really the big thing is having enough time to work with it. And I've not trained a dog. So it would be the blind leading the blind unless I buy a trained dog. And that costs a lot more money. So as of this point, I don't have one. But every once in a while, I start looking for one. And my wife's like, you looking at puppies? Yeah, I, I have some of them. Ideas too. Sometimes if I lie down, that thought goes away. Yeah, yeah. I 
I really don't think I need it. And it's just something else to add to what I'm doing. So that's what I keep telling myself. But I do know every once in a while I slip up and I get really close. I like using the dogs. I use them on the cattle and the colts. So we had a pretty handy tool at times. Uh, I run, when I'm out grazing, I usually have three dogs with me. So I have two oh, horses, yeah. trade off horses. Dogs usually go out every day with me. I've, I've never had the luxury of a good dog. We've, I mean, we've had good dogs, but not well-trained dogs. That would be the better wording. So interesting. Well, yeah. these days I just get them handy enough so to get by. I don't need nothing real special, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, as long as they work for you, that's that's yep. your goal there. Yeah. If they'll go out back, you know, five, six hundred yards when I need them to out of sight and, and think on their own and bring the stock back over to where I need them on their own, uh, that's what I need. I don't need a push button dog. I just need a thinking dog and with some guidance oh, yeah. from me. Sometimes I get in the way and sometimes I don't. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we all struggle with getting in our own way too often. Now, with your, your goats, just a little bit more on that, what breed were you looking for, or did you have a specific type in mind, or were you just buying what was available? I uh, was looking for Spanish genetics. I wanted to get something oh, yeah. Spanish or Kiko, right, is what I was looking for, yes. and I found Spanish first, and uh, I bought a small trip a group of goats it's called a trip right and it's a it's a real trip all right getting into them but <laughs> yeah we, we grew them up good and, uh i i closed herd uh i don't know what it is now five six years ago i suppose closed up and we only use our own bucks and that sort of thing uh, so i i was commenting the other day with with a friend of mine and does targeted grazing, and I asked, I guess it's maybe on one of our, one of our uh, gatherings there, we were discussing that, I guess, when Dr. Ann was talking. And uh, I, I made the comment that my goats have changed, how, how they look, what, you know, different things about them. They've changed and adapted into things. Our climate, for one, has to, they have to oh, adapt yeah. better into to, uh, being with our extreme cold snaps and uh, making, utilizing feed better. I, I'm big on that, uh, looking for that. But also the way they browse and, and eat, they, they've they changed like mouse size is a little more important to me. And rumens, uh, the way I graze is a little different than most. I, I graze in the morning for a few hours and graze in the evening for a few hours. And they tamp up pretty hard they you know their rumens are quite swelled when they come in and uh, let them relax for the afternoon we go out for the evening and and they fill up again and they get on that routine and i i like to line them out in a line would you say they're predominantly spanish with some kiko influence now or have you um, brought in enough kiko you would say it's equal influence i i've stayed more spanish i'll be honest yeah I oh, think yeah. there might have been some Kiko influence in what they called was Spanish. But uh, it, every I brought in goats from Montana, bucks from Montana. And oh, yeah. I brought 
I bought a buck that we brought in from Texas, uh, Span- all Spanish. So uh, mostly dominant in Spanish, I'd say. But uh, very bipedal. Uh, if I get into some woodwork where I need them to be up in the air, boy, they'll stretch out a lot more than other goats. Oh, yeah. How are you fencing them? Are you shepherding them or are you putting up some fencing? Uh, at home, I have fencing. I have a couple of strands on the barbed wire I experimented with, and don't ever do that. They just tangle up with the barbed wire. Oh, yeah. I have a, an offset I use quite a bit, and I've shared that with others, and um, they've used it, and it's been pretty workable. I one strand offset, uh, 10 inches off the post, 10 inches off the ground, and Got some rickety old fence that's holding goats in for the most part. Occasionally, I do have something get out, but, uh, you know, there's usually a reason for it, I guess. Oh, yeah. But uh, fencing fencing is pretty important for people getting in, I guess. That's the thing I always, first comment I'll make is if they can't hold water, don't buy them. But after you get them treated to electricity... They stay in actually really good. Like we kitted, uh, started kitting last year, uh, rotational grazing and kitting. We'll put up two. I started out with three strands, um, the first paddock, uh, and then I went to two strands and we started rotating and just bumping our does ahead and dropping the, the mothers and the kids behind and letting them catch up in a couple of days, right? I, my back fence, I don't right. move as fast, but I'll move my front fence. We used to do that with sheep, too. Well, I really like that idea, and that's similar to what we've done at times with sheep. Uh, my journey with sheep, we've had sheep, was this, 2024, so almost 10 years now, and I'm still figuring them out. Lambing time is a little difficult for us in that I want to tag those babies, but I don't want to break up that bonding time. And I found last year I broke up some bonding time and ended up having more orphan lambs. I blame on myself um, than I should have. The year before, I did what you were talking about. I I just moved the herd forward and let those ewes stay back. And then I just moved them up slowly. It seemed to work much better. And that's what I'm I'm planning for this year with my goats and sheep. However, I still don't have the ear tagging solved because I really, I don't know. I struggle. I didn't tag at all. Let's see. I'm trying to think. Last year, I didn't tag at all. I've tagged all the way up till last year, and I thought I could match them up a little bit better, but I couldn't match them up to the ewes later on. I really wanted to because we have a closed flock with our sheep, and we just keep our own rams. And and it makes it tougher to pick out the rams I want to keep for the following year if they're not tagged. Yeah, uh, we used to do that uh, when I was pastor lambing. I uh, had uh, one dog in particular that was very good that she would keep the mother fairly close to us while I snuck in and got the kids. Oh, uh, yeah. We'd put, we'd put a roto tag in the kids. Um if it went in the right ear, it was a female. If it went in the left ear, it was a male. So when they were coming down the race, I could draft them off easier. 
Uh, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Also painted numbers on some at times with a spray bomb. Just use that uh, livestock paint. Sometimes wrote a number oh, on yeah. there if things got away in a hurry. Uh, used to keep track of everything. Uh, started building that, you know, anything that didn't have a baby went down the road. And after that, uh, anything that singled went down the road. And I had, I had a pretty good flock of ewes that were running really good for me, actually. And one day, two fools met. And someone offered me too much money, and I uh, took it. So, <laughs> I don't blame yeah. you. So a lot of them well, left at that point. And that's, that's actually kind of where we were, are, we've been selling, uh, anything that doesn't lamb and, and we'll, we'll continue to do that, but we're about to take a hard swipe at those ewes that just raised singles. Um, we, we feel like we have enough numbers and we really want to be able to identify those ewes. And if there's any problem there, two strikes, she's out for sure. So I I started to try and do that with the goats, but they're a lot more touchier, it seems. Um, so I I don't, and I found I wasn't keeping track of the records anyway, Cal, so I quit worrying about it. So oh, we, yeah. put a, we put a dangle tag on any of the uh, dolings that were keeping. So all the does and dolings are, are tagged with a dangle tag. And if I have a problem with something, it gets an ear notch on the tag, not on the ear, but on the tag. And oh, if on it the gets, tag. Yeah. So if it gets two in the tag, it's gone for sure. The first one, uh, if it's uh, on the side of the tag, it's a warning, and it might be something that maybe it wasn't her fault. If it's at the oh, bottom yeah. of the tag, uh, like she just mismothered and was a bad mom, it'll be at the bottom of the tag and that goes, it doesn't get a second notch, right? So, oh, yeah. So You're just notching a, that with pliers ear or notchers, pocket knife? Ear notch pliers, oh, yeah. ear notchers, yeah. 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 We um, always forget about those. We used to ear notch our dairy calves, and I always forget about those pliers. Dr. Sparks, who was big into Kiko's here in Oklahoma when I got my Kiko's, in fact, my first Kiko's, came from him and he was big on goats are different than sheep you can't expect goats to have twins every year if you have a single this year they're probably going to have twins next year now he he always said he wanted a single the first year twins the every year after that but he says goats you have to be careful about pushing them to get there now on episode um 67 we had adam Lavina on and he was talking about goats and he's really got his kidding percentage up high um over 200 percent and he's really focused on that and I which I thought was really impressive because I've never had that kind of of luck with my kidding percentage I, I guess I used to worry about that uh with what I doing, I'm, I'm ranching them more than farming them. So yes. I'm pushing them harder. Oh, I'm, I'm kidding late in the year, like, um, May, June type of thing now. And just, uh, not as worried about getting a lot of 
triplets or quads. I used to, you know, twins are, are great. I was getting quads at times, so I just started backing things off. Uh, don't flush as hard. When I flush, oh, uh, yeah. it's just better pasture now. Uh, we don't feed oh, yes. grain unless we have to. Uh, I have fed grain. I won't say I don't. Uh, I fed straw one year with, with scre grain screenings. It was wheat, uh, was in it? wheat lentils, yeah. and peas were in it, uh, screening. So uh, um, that was the cheapest way I could feed that year. Uh, I'm all about that. I feed weed bales. I, I get as much weedy bales as I can find cheap. <laughs> as long as there's some grain in the weeds, why it works out pretty good. And that brings me to a question that I had um, thought to ask earlier and I hadn't asked. The land in your area, is there much farming going on or is it mainly pasture? You have a lot of irrigation. Uh there's a little bit of irrigation over here. Outlook was full of irrigation. Uh, where, where I was before, I grew up on irrigation. Uh, over here, uh, to the north of me is, is all pasture. Very fortunate to the north of me. To the south of me uh, is grain farming mostly. Yeah. So oh, I'm on yeah. that edge there. Oh, yeah. One more thing before we go to the overgrazing section. Do you want to talk about your um, lifelong learner group? Uh, yeah, thanks for bringing that up, I guess, Cal. It's a, it's a thing, a little project I started it off with last year. Um, I was uh, became a mentor for the Canadian uh, Forage and Grazing Association and hosted uh, meetings, uh, I guess it'd be a year ago now, that we kind of finished that up. Oh, yeah. And uh, I took the producers on those sites, uh, offered them a soil health program last fall in Outlook, uh, had people gather in there. And from that, I took those names and added into the poll and pool, I mean, and uh, I started a, a kind of a newsletter thing uh, with the option of every second week or so, we'll invite a speaker in to speak and uh, talk about things up. Farm ranch related, mostly, most of the time, and uh, it's 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 something that I think we can share, and it's growing. Uh, I think I'm up to I don't know 160 some people I'm sending mail out to right now, and it's mostly been word of mouth and oh, a little good. bit advertised on on Facebook a little bit, but. Uh, it's it's been very encouraging, and I guess the last one uh, was was last night, and we discussed. It was an open mic forum, and uh, I think we're going to start recording them too. People have been asking what we do, and uh, so I think we're going to start recording everything. I was recording just the speakers. Unfortunately, I had a really good podcaster on, and I've got to hit record. Uh, with, which <laughs> you know, was that may have been a good thing. Grazing Grass podcast, uh, Cal Hardage was on, and uh, we really enjoyed you, Cal, and I appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you. Uh, well, but, yeah. I, I love the idea of your group and the email and having that opportunity for conversation. Um, I plan to be at, at some of the others, and I've not not made it. I, I'm on blame. Sometimes I'm lazy. Sometimes I get busy. But um, 
I'm going to try and be there because I really like the idea of that, that shared community, um, discussing what's going on and having, having people in there talk. I, I just love the whole idea of it. And I, I am, um, impressed you have that going and glad you do. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's a great learning curve for me, uh, doing it, but, uh, being able to share knowledge is something I've all, uh, I've done a serum Molotov and I believe it's important to do. And I try to give back by stepping into some of these groups uh, as directors and stuff that I've been involved with over the years because I'm giving back now. And I think that's important. Oh, yeah. And helping out the youth. Um, I really want to try and get more youth involved. Yes. Yeah. Great. I, I am. Um really encouraging by who wants to join that to join. And if someone yeah. wanted to, Lee, how would they join that? Oh, uh, they can just email me. We, we can put more information in our show notes so that yep. um, someone can get on that so they can, can join in. You bet. I appreciate that. Yeah. And Lee, it's time for us to move on to the overgrazing section where we take a little bit deeper dive into something you're doing. And you've mentioned it a few times, and that's targeted grazing. What what do you even mean when you say targeted grazing? So uh, I'm using small ruminants uh, now, mostly goats, because uh, I deal with a lot of ranchers, and they are very accepting of the goats being on their land because they feel they don't eat much grass. And they really don't if they're properly utilized uh, They'll eat brush, they'll eat weeds, that sort of thing, more browse and forbs. So uh, what I do is noxious weed control, a lot of that. Uh, take the animals in and we, we try to graze them. Uh, up on the spurge, I'm getting to where I'm Copy. hitting it, like 40% of the plant is gone and it restarts the plant. And we come back, I'm hitting it more often rather than at first, we were just trying to strip everything off of the plant to make it start again. I wasn't getting as much fast regrowth because they were slower starting to come in for a second pass. So I, I kind of related to a poor farmer with cattle. They had cattle in there all the time grazing. And I try to mimic that as we're coming and going across. So I'll, I'll let them I usually go out to the far end of the property where I am and will graze back in towards camp. And uh, they'll just keep kind of touching it and shortening the roots, right? Oh, yeah. The idea is to make it kind of hurt a little bit and want to start more and more. Um, I changed my mind a little bit over the years doing it, how I do it now. And I think it's been pretty successful. I I see results. Uh, The people that were... In their monitoring, said there was results, and uh, I like to have uh, someone else monitor my work so that I uh, I'm not biased. I do my own monitoring for my own satisfaction, but uh, oh yeah. So we usually usually graze. I you can sense uh, a lot of people sense. You'll see that in in a lot of uh, urban areas where they'll sense and, and just have them in there all the time, looking mm-hmm. after them. Uh, whereas I choose to be in bigger spaces where I can hunt with my dogs and horse, horseback. So you, you're going out there horseback with your dogs 
and um, shepherding those animals, basically. Yes, yes. That's, yeah. uh, and what I, I do it a little different than others because of uh, the, the way I line them out. Uh, I'll do uh, horizontal or vertical on heel sides, or I try to get them side by side so that they're competing with each other like people do at a buffet or smorgasbord. Hey, the first ones in always oh, keep yeah. their plates up. And um, the first ones in, you know, I, if I can line them out and they're eating side by side, they eat hard. Yeah, so when I teach, uh, I try to to teach people how to do targeted grazing. And uh, I went to school down in the States, to a couple of schools to learn to do it properly with some great mentors. Uh, uh, I went to uh, Tennessee Browsing Academy, and then I went to the California Multi-Species Grazing Academy. Uh, then I brought those folks up and done one in Outlook, or in Outlook in Hanley here. Then we uh, done another one in Swift Current, I guess, in the winter time. It was a winter deal. But yeah, I'm just trying to educate people on it if I can. Oh, yeah. And how long are you spending on these properties when you do this? Well, the bigger ones, I'm there quite a while, like, like 100, 120 days minimum type oh, of thing yeah. is, is, is the season, uh, you know, from the time it starts until it's kind of done. Uh, the smaller ones, you might only, like some of these ones where you fence, you might be there a couple of days and you're moving, right? Or a week or oh, whatever. Yeah. Those fencing projects, we use uh, mostly netting on them because of the public around. But uh, I do get away with multi-strand some places too. Yeah, it just kind of depends on the area you're in. It does, yeah. 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 One, one of the things on this overgrazing thing, if I could... Set back the unwanted vegetation so that the wanted vegetation can get a better start and improve so soil biology, then oh, yeah. that's what we're about. Yes. Yeah. And is that just that leafy uh, spurge. spurge? Is that the main plant you're targeting there, or do you all have a few other noxious weeds that's. Yeah, we have other have noxious. With. We have other ones. Uh, there's some, uh, right now, there's some grazing available that goes out for bid. And I didn't really bid on it because they're bidding on uh, spurge and they're bidding on uh, grass species. And absence is another one. And it's a more woody, oh, okay. small woody plant. Orvwood, I think, is also a name for it. But anyway, uh, they're targeting like three and four different plants. And to me, it's the targeting of the plant on some of those plants is different. So you're trying to target oh, yeah. them at one time, but you can't. You can't do it effectively in my mind. That's my opinion on it. Um, so yeah, I settle on spurge. We got lots of it. It's uh, very high in, in protein, higher than alfalfa. Even in the late oh, stages, yeah. it's still very good. So my animals do really good, and that's why... You know, I can have like that rancher. He can, he can kid on it, and do his kids will do well. His does will do well. Yeah, they come out eating spurge. I'll tell you, there. Very good. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lee. Lee, it's time for us to move to our famous four questions. Same four questions we ask of all of our guests. Our first question: What is your favorite grazing grass related? book or resource? 
boy, you know, there's so many good things that I, I guess I have a deal. I, I'd have to say my, my computer type of thing is, is going to be probably one of my better resources because uh, every morning I take half an hour to an hour, Cal, I'll be honest, if I have my coffee and I'll, I'll watch or listen to things, right? That, uh, right. Educational things. And that's, that's where I've been learning a lot of stuff, I guess. And when I'm out working, I'm on podcasts with my earphones in. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, very good. I I do that at times. Now I get sidetracked. The computer's really distracting with all the tabs I can open, and I can really go on a rabbit hunt. Now, when I, when I go out... I to the TV. Oh, oh, there you go. On the podcast and working outside, sometimes I found I just got to take my headphones out and just enjoy the moment. But then... um. I do that for a while and then I put my headphones back on because I want to I want to enjoy the moment. I want to take it in. But then I also have this other need I want to be learning. Yeah. Um, listening to books while I'm out grazing a lot where I was this last time. Uh wasn't much internet, so downloading a book or podcast oh, yeah. was easy to do. So worked out much uh, better, yeah. Yeah, you can't let you say though you don't do it full time. Yeah, you got to take a little bit of a break from that. Yeah. Yeah. Our second question What is your favorite tool to use on the farm or ranch? Oh, man. I thought about that. You know, I'd say uh, anything that makes my life easy is a great tool <laughs> for me. Uh, uh, little things, I guess. Uh, like my Leatherman, I, I use it a lot. Uh, that remote control shut off for that sensor is huge for me when we're oh, yes. moving cattle and stuff. Uh, and I use a quad a lot. I do when I'm at home here moving fence. So we do a lot of poly fencing, you know, temporary wire that we're moving. And I'm always either unrolling with the quad or reeling it up with a drill. So Very good. Our third question, what would you tell someone just getting started? Be prepared. Read as much as you can. Shadow somebody that you think is doing a good job for you. Uh, take courses. Uh, a life-changing thing for me has been taking uh, ranching for profit. And I took my grandkids to a holistic management uh, deal. Uh, both very good things uh, to to look oh, into. Yeah. And I, I, I wished I'd have done it to begin with. I really do. Talking about going to ranching for profit, and I haven't gone yet. Uh, it's mainly that sticker price, sticker shock. Yeah. I, I look at that price. I'm like, oh man. But um, I I have more free time now, um, because I'm on the farm full time now. Oh, um, nice. With my other hobbies, I I have resigned at my job so I can focus on the farm with the goal of of doing this long term. I thought the timing was right, so I actually have more time available now. Well, yeah. It's only my opinion that other people have said it, and I'd have to agree that probably you'll pay for that ranching for profit in the first year. If you're serious oh, yeah. and, and really, you know, dig into it, I think you will. I've, I've only heard good things. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm going up to visit the boys, uh, Dave Pratt and, and Dallas Mount are both uh, going to be together at one time in Saskatoon this week. They're teaching. Uh, oh. Our Canadian laws don't allow them to be up here for the full Lake Beach, so they have to split the, the course in half. And one teaches one half, one teaches the other half. And I get, I'm going to go up and visit. I guess Thursday night I'll be doing that. Oh, very good. And lastly, Lee? Where can others find out more about you? Facebook, I guess. Uh, I don't do a whole lot. I'll be honest. Uh, I'm on Facebook just for the sites that I enjoy looking at. I'm not there being a lovey-dovey uh, contact person and wishing everybody well type of thing. Uh, Instagram's the other one I use, and uh, X, formerly Twitter. I have an account on them. Oh, Lee, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing about what you're doing and your journey. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks for having me on. I hope uh, there's something worthwhile there for you to use. And uh, uh, anybody wants to reach out, I'm very open to anybody wanting to reach out. If I can help you, I sure will help out if I can. I may not know a lot, but I'll share what I have. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, Click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. And until next time, keep on grazing grass. <laughs>